0: hello and welcome to find your center i'm kim perone certified life coach with the center for clarity compassion and contentment i know that's a mouthful so i call it center C, but the name is meaningful and these qualities of clarity compassion and contentment are what we all need more of so i thank you for listening i'm here with tisha from the slightly unmeditated podcast channel hello my friend how are you I am radiant today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I wish everyone could see that. You are radiant today, and I'm. It's good because the topic is, you know, maybe not so radiant. So we can bring shed some light on it. Uh, this is episode twenty four, and it's let's, ta- let's talk about forms of fear, but do not be afraid. So we're going to talk about fear today, which is a common coaching topic, and. It's a common emotion that we have, and there are a lot of things underlying it. So I hope to shed a little light and have a good discussion with you about that. I'm all over it. i okay. go. You're not afraid. We <laughs> not are not all. afraid. We are fearless. <laughs> uh, fearless in the face of fear. So to shed some light on the topic, um, I... I saw these eight forms of fear and I thought, wouldn't this be a great episode? So I'm gonna talk about the eight forms of fear as a launching off point. There's obviously the first of the eight is real fear. It's a good thing. It keeps us safe and we need to be alert to danger. We need to move away from something that's dangerous. So it's a very real instinct that we have and it's good, it's an ally and being afraid of things we should be afraid of is very important. And I can imagine that everyone listening and you Tisha have, you know, known times when let's say you're walking in a dark alley and you go, Mm. Hmm, this doesn't feel quite right. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you shouldn't be walking in a dark alley by yourself, that kind of thing. And, and so we do have those things, or maybe it was even just a situation. I, I had a real fear, uh, that, that the other day, and it was computer related. I had, All of a sudden, this flashing screen on my computer popped up and it said, call Microsoft. Your computer has been hacked and all this stuff. Call this number. And it looked very legit and it froze my computer. Mm. And the more I thought about it, as I'm calling that phone number, I go, this is not legit. This is the phishing. And, right. and sure enough, I was right. You know, I just closed my computer, talked, and it was a Saturday, of course. So oh. I had to wait till Monday. I didn't use that computer. Luckily, it wasn't this one that I used for Zooming and podcasting, it was the other one. And so. It, that was a real instinct I had. It was like, yeah, it was saying, telling me, call this number. And then all of a sudden I'm talking to the guy on the phone going, wait a minute, you're the yeah. problem. Not, <laughs> You're not going to fix my problem. You're going to direct me to do something. And then, and so I said, how do I know you're not the hacker? And he said, Or I said, why, maybe I should call my computer guy. And he goes, well, why didn't you do that already? You know, and I'm like, click, I hung up. (laughs) And and sure enough, it really was. And it was, it was actually just attached to an article. I was just looking up articles, I think to go with, you know, to find something to go with maybe one of a a podcast. And it was probably just attached to one of those articles. So my computer really wasn't co-opted. It was basically trying to get me to right. do that. So just share that. Well, as good FYI for people out there, like you don't have to do everything that something te- tells you to do, right? We keep. Yes. this is how we fall for fishing is when we're directed and we're just following directions because we're normally doing that in our life. So I had that sense that this wasn't right. And so that fear was good. And it alerted me to, you know what, this looks more like the hacking than it actually being the answer to my problem an answer yeah. to it. So, right. so that's a good example of real fear. You get that little instinct that tells you this is just not quite right. A different kind of fear. So we're going to go two two through eight. I'm going to talk about is other ways we might identify fear, you know, fear presenting as some other things. So the second one is echo fear. And this means a situation in the past that's not happening now is impacting us now and sabotaging us. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that. Right. So think about like, how does that present itself? What are some scenarios in life? Not necessarily, you know, whether they're yours or you could think of examples like of that echo, it's something from the past. And now there's a situation today that that past situation is moving itself into.
1: Yeah, I could think of like 27 <laughs> examples right <laughs> now. Uh so we talked about my panic attack last time on one of the shows. That's right, we did. And so that stayed with me, physically stayed with me for a really long time. Um yeah, I can think of like um I'm trying to think of something
0: that I don't have to like explain a whole long thing of. Mm. I can give you some examples that just popped into my mind that are just Perfect. sort of neutral, generic examples that, that are very vivid too. So, you know, say your boyfriend or your girlfriend cheated on you in the past. Well, now you're in a new relationship uh. and that echo fear is there, right? You find yourself looking at the new significant other's phone and maybe feeling like on edge and it's because of that past experience. So it doesn't, there's no evidence in the present that that's the case. And you're bringing that past experience into the new experience. And it very well could sabotage you because that person might not like all that other baggage that that other person, they're like, Hey, I'm me. And I'm, you know, I want you to be in a relationship with me, not in a relationship with your former significant other and all the things they did on me. (sighs) Oh, I get weary just thinking about, <laughs> well, you know I mean? and that would be a common one, of course. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, that would be a natural echo fear that someone would have. So because it's natural doesn't mean we should let it go, though. It's good to know these things and bring them to your awareness so that we aren't letting that uh, affect us.
1: Exactly. Especially, I mean, if it's not even true, like that's the destroyer of rela- of said relationship, right? Because like you can't even, you don't even have an opportunity to build trust and faith mm-hmm. and all that.
0: Yeah. Another example of an echo fear is say that you had a job that it had a bit of a toxic environment and you were always getting yelled at and criticized. Mm. And it really was unhealthy and that's why you left the job and you got another job. Then in the new job, you hear criticism or you have your performance evaluation and you are stinging from criticism, but it might've been because you were, had gotten used to that rough environment. And in the new environment, they may mean it very kindly. And like, you know, we do these performance evaluations and we always give someone something that they can improve. And we care about your growth in this company. So that's another kind of example of where we can bring that echo fear. Um, Even, you know, I mentioned significant others, it even could be friendships. You know, if if we do have our brains have the power of seeing what we believe. Mm. So we can sabotage ourselves when the echo fear. Be, is is presenting itself as fear today in this specific situation. So to be more aware that something in the past might be pre- presenting itself as an echo fear today in a present situation that isn't necessarily healthy for you. Right. And then you, should... yeah, go ahead. Go, no,
1: <laughs> I know. I just started thinking of like other examples of that, how, you know, being in, um, any situation like that was a bad deal for you and then you're always letting that fear kind of get in the way, then nothing's ever going to get better until you recognize it. You that's, know, that's your what?
0: self-sabotage too. I mean, right. You could actually be making a self-fulfilling prophecy. If, if say you were paranoid because you really needed to be at this company that was all backstabbing and now you're in a new company, you could actually sabotage your time there because you behaving like people are out to get you could make them say, Hey, this person is not a fit. Right. That's not going on here.
1: Right. And yeah, you're not giving yourself a chance to even. Yeah.
0: Right. So, and actually we can think about this too. I would say this one in recognizing this, seeing it in others can help us be more kind. Mm. We, you know, we might be seeing it with a friend more clearly, even they might be telling us something and we might be brave enough to say, is it true? Or is that an echo fear of, you know, the last relationship you had with Sean, with the new relationship, and then just cause them to think about it or the same thing with a job. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I mean, if you're that kind of friend, Right. So, right. if you find that that's the the caring kind opportunity to say something like that, um, or even just if you recognize it in someone giving them some some grace and 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 understanding, we we don't know what everyone's gone through in their lives, so it it might be a situation that an echo fear is coming up, and you may not understand someone's behavior, but you may be just kind about it. Right, exactly. Non-judgmental and give them a little space
1: to figure it out. And if you're the person undergoing fear, be open to accepting like, hey, this is fear talking kind of, and, mm-hmm. you know, it might take you a minute to
0: come around to it, but. And it is connected to what we've talked about before with the thoughts. You know, we're having thoughts all the time. They're not necessarily the absolute truth it's an interpretation of evidence that we see. So our thoughts don't always have our best interest. And we know, we know when we call ourselves stupid in our minds and when we, you know, say nasty things to us, I think everybody can kind of relate to the fact that, yeah, that's maybe not the, the most real thought is. I'm
1: sorry. I'm, And when you go searching for that evidence that you're absolutely right, that everybody's out to get you, you're probably going to find it. And your brain's telling you what, you know, it's a whole tangled web.
0: It can be. It can be. So if we're okay with recognizing fear, fear would come from the ego. And so it's the mind's interpretation of what's going on and narrating the world. If we can just challenge it or be aware of it, when we feel fear to dig a little bit deeper and say, you know, what's, what's going on, is this real or is it one of these other kinds of fears? The next kind of fear is perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So perfectionism is a form of fear. It's a fear that's disguised as being so good that I have nothing to fear. I need to be above reproach. I need to do things to the nth degree to be okay. Right? So that nothing could be criticized and underneath it is the fear that I'm not good enough. And this fear shows up as perfectionism
1: interesting.
0: And the problem is perfectionism works really nicely for a while, but it's not sustainable. So that's where we become, we start becoming resentful. We look at others and like they're not working themselves to the nth degree. And then we're angry at them. And we start to wonder why other people aren't driving themselves this hard and why they're so lazy. And we can turn around and say, is, is it me really driving myself harder, overworking to make sure that things are perfect?
1: Right. So you're saying perfectionists can be ugly and mean to other people as a uh, – an output I don't know what word I'm trying to use there, but like mm-hmm. when they feel like um their perfectionism is jeopardized by somebody who's like more chill and like still accomplishing things
0: but not necessarily working twenty four seven yes, good description. it becomes a byproduct, and then we look at other people and we go. Well, they're not driving themselves as hard to exhaustion or, you know, doing everything to please to the nth degree. And then we get angry at them. And so then we can start turning our judgment on them and feel resentful. But that that more chill person, and this is not to say in examples where maybe you're doing double the work because someone actually isn't working. That's a little Mm -hmm. different. Right. This is more of if you are working from a place of, I'm not enough, so I better do so much that I'm worthy. Right. Ultimately, it's so exhausting, it's so draining, and it's so difficult on yourself that you will eventually feel resentful towards other people who are more chill and maybe operate more. Organically and doing good work and not feeling like their worthiness is attached to the very product.
1: Right. The best thing I ever did was come into this whole experience just authentically and totally admitting that I have no idea what's happening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like even the podcast. So that's another way that perfectionism can turn into a fear because you might not do something that you don't fully have mastered. Girl, let me just tell you what, Right. we haven't
1: talked about it yet. You haven't talked about it yet, but I'm not going to out myself here, but I'm working on something behind the scenes that even you don't know about right now. And that is exactly the come to Jesus moment I had with myself over the weekend. Nice. And I was like, I literally had to watch some YouTube videos about some stuff and I still follow through, even though I still like, didn't really know what I was doing. I would get tripped up for just a minute, and then I would hear Kim in my head. And I would? I, I <laughs> totally would. My Jiminy Cricket. My Kiminy Cricket. Oh my God! I can't believe <laughs> I didn't. Oh, no. That's a good. How did one. I not think of that earlier? <laughs> but I would. I would feel that fear coming, and then I would just be like, you know what? See, like, see you later. Sayonara, and I would stop focusing on it and keep moving forward. And this is so timely. And while I've never really let fear stop me, there absolutely have been many, 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 many moments where I didn't uh, choose a path or follow through with something. Because I was like, you know, eventually it came to me like, well, you're not good enough to do this. Except for now. And this podcast, of course, was the first example. But as that confidence grows, now it's carrying over into other things.
0: And if you were a perfectionist, you wouldn't have even gotten off the starting block because you would have been staying in the mastery. That which I've done a hundred times, a thousand times, a hundred thousand times is where I belong Mm. because it's just too risky because in the perfectionist mode, when your worth, your worthiness is attached to the product, you don't give yourself the opportunity to fail, to try, to know you've tried. And even if it did fail, it, it may lead you to another step. Oh, failure is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like if I didn't fail
1: at 30 other things, I wouldn't be doing this now.
0: Absolutely. And it's definitely failure is not failure. No. Failure is a lesson. And we've talked about that on another, and we talked about that even in the um, it, one of your episodes, too, in the obstacles to spirituality. It's like how you can look at things completely different. Mm-hmm. Failure is, a wow, I'm glad I tried. Wow, I learned something new. Failure isn't, it's not a label I'm wearing. I'm not the failure. I'm having an experience of trying something and having it not work
1: yeah and it didn't take me long to like adjust to that. I mean, granted, I've always sort of had that attitude a little bit about trying new things and the the road not taken. That's always kind of been my motto to an extent. And then when I get deep into the trenches and I'm like, mm, I can't do this, you know, until this weekend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> See, it's like, I was like,'t wait to hear all about
1: it. <laughs> I, within two days, I was already in that cycle of my brain where like, what are you doing? You know, like I I wake up the next day after really just dedicating a whole day to something. And then I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't going to work. And then things actually didn't work out as I had hoped they would. They seemed like overwhelmingly difficult. And I quit for like a split second and then I was like no I cannot I have to follow through with it like I literally was life coaching myself there you go at the kitchen table like you've got to do this and it turns out what was what I thought was super complicated was not complicated at all and then I ended up like just for the whole day I was so productive I didn't even know who I was
0: that is flow my friend you immersed yourself in this new project and you were so focused and it was just flowing and you were absorbed and time just, it was, it's like a time warp, right? Time just goes. Honestly, it absolutely is a time warp. (laughs) Yes. In the best way, right? Yeah, And that's so good for your brain too. So I'm so excited to hear, you know, what what it is so after, yeah. after we're done taving, you'll hear all about it. We'll let you go. Um, the next form of fear is the inner critic, the voice in your head that says you're not enough. You didn't do enough. And you can recognize that when your inner critic is saying all those things, you're scared. It's fear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, the, um, Four Agreements, I think we did Mm -hmm. on Off the Shelf, was had a huge impact on my inner critic. Like, I can now hear that as a separate voice. I've actually assigned it like this Muppet voice. So (laughs) it becomes kind of laughable when it starts talking to me, and then I don't take it so
0: seriously. I don't know if that's a little woo woo crazy no, or not. Excellent. <laughs> that is excellent because to to actually give it a separate voice allows you the distance to debate it a little bit and that is the ego, right? So the ego, the inner critic, the ego is just, you know, it's got that box in mind. It's it wants to keep you safe. It it wants to be um, your troubleshooter, your problem solver, it wants to anticipate the problems. It wants to keep you in your problems until you solve them. And not all problems are solved overnight. So to really see that inner critic might be just trying to keep you safe because let's say maybe you tried something and it didn't work out. And this is a new and improved version. It would be the ego that says, yeah, don't go back there. Don't try that again.
1: Yeah. But I think, um, in the book, the description of the inner roommate being a I mean the inner critic being well, roommate whatever, being a physical person speaking to you the way your brain speaks to you, you wouldn't last like 10 minutes with them in the same room. You'd kick them out, right? So like that is a huge that was a huge impact on my uh ability to like disassociate a little bit. I'm not saying I'm a perfectionist at it. Like I don't I haven't I have to sometimes like go a half hour and then be like, whoa, you know, it
0: doesn't always kind of make itself known right away. And that was the untethered soul with Michael Singer. Yes. The voice in your head, the inner roommate. Right. Right. Sorry. That's okay. Well, in four agreements, they talked to that too. That's like, don't take anything personally. So now it's like, Oh, you know, my boss gave me a dirty look. It must be about me. Well, it might not be right? Yeah. Yeah, The inner critic, like it must be you. You did something wrong. What'd you do? Would The inner critic would say that. Inner roommate. In A lot of the books that people will hear when we do them on Off the Shelf, they have a lot of common themes. And this is definitely one of them. And so this list has those common themes as well. Right.
1: Yeah. It's not so woo-woo when you when you get down to brass tacks, like it's crazy how much crossover there is
0: that I, I actually forget sometimes like which show we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I do too. <laughs> and, and also it's, it's not, you don't have split personality <laughs> or right. any kind of personality problem. If you do see the voice in your head, that inner critic, um, the ego's voice as something that's a part of you and not all of you. Right. It's, it's a good and healthy thing because not all our thoughts have our best interest. And you know, that inner critic that's trying to keep you safe and trying to have you not try something again after something failed, we know that that's not the healthiest. It's like, what would we get back on that horse or try and, you know, find a new and improved way. If it's, if it's in you and it's a desire in you to do something, you should try and believe in yourself. And, and, you know, one failure certainly isn't evidence that you should be abandoning ship, but the ego's concerned. And the ego doesn't want you hurt and the ego doesn't want you disappointed. That's that part of us that would try and protect us from trying again. Right. All right. Another form of fear is avoidance. So now let's say in an example, you've convinced yourself that you really want to do something and then you don't do it. And then you shrug your shoulders and you're like, well, it's not really that big a deal. I didn't, it's not that big a deal. So you might just be avoiding it, avoid having trouble getting off the starting block. The fear has now come in the way and it's really just something that you're starting to shrug off. Yeah. Like tax preparation, right? Every,
1: (laughs) every year I have this giant fear of doing it. And then I put it off for so long that I have no choice, but to do it. And then, like, it's never as bad as I think. Like, it takes a few hours. I'm pretty organized within my own self, but I'm not super organized, like, paperwork wise. So I have to go looking for everything in emails and bank statements. <laughs> and then I end up like enjoying the whole kind of process, like that brain stimulation. And, and but I do it every year
0: for 15 years. <laughs> I do it. And, And the avoidance too, it's like the avoidance of the pain or something that's maybe not our biggest skill or our best fun job of the job, right? Right. The the best, the the task we dislike the most, putting it off or avoiding it. We know it's a big deal or saying that we're going to do something and then not, I mean, studies show we think when we put, we put our feet to the fire, when we say, I'm going to write a book and we really don't. Right. Studies show that that really doesn't make sure that you do it because you just said it out loud. <laughs> right. it, it, it's it's more effective if you have a count accountability partner. But when you just kind of say things, it's interesting and counterintuitive that that doesn't necessarily on its own work. And then yeah, the avoidance, like deciding you want to do something and then you're just you know not. You're saying it's important, then you're acting like it's not important. Right. So that Mm -hmm. could be fear. It's like, okay, what's blocking you from sitting down? Is it a lot of excuses? Oh, I don't have time, or I need a big block of time to do it. Well, make the block of time to do it. Yeah, right. (laughs) So to the next one is very similar, which is distraction. Distraction can be a fear. It's it's you know, distraction is um, you put something to do. um, You actually got it on the calendar now right? So you're not avoiding it. You, you put it, you block the time and now you're there and it's maybe writing something. This is not a good example for you because you just do that all the time. But if someone had to write something and that's not what they normally do, or, you know, a specific project, you put it on the calendar and next thing you know, you're all ready to start doing it. But then you find things to do that you haven't done in a while. That you don't even like to do to take the place of doing this thing, like the dishes (laughs) (laughs) or laundry or cleaning a closet. If you find yourself in a closet cleaning out your shoes when you've blocked time out to write your memoir or whatever project that you want to do, that's distraction. Yeah. It's so funny. Just earlier today I was thinking
1: about how we should do an episode on uh cr- procrastination and everything you kind of just touched on was sort of what was in my head about that episode.
0: And we can ask ourselves, yeah, what is it though? And then even so then you say, okay, procrastination, what is what's under this? What is the fear? The fear that I'm not organized enough, the fear that I'm not capable enough? What are some other fears? What are things that would get in the way? I'm sure there's
1: like all kinds of different, I'm trying to think like in my own personal experience is mostly because I just don't want to do it. Like, I don't know that it's necessarily a fear, but I can say it took me a year and I just did it last weekend to clean out my basement.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like it was literally a stack of things that need to be thrown away, had already been sorted and separated. And that's all I needed to do. But it took a year because I think a lot of it was my mom's stuff. And so I had just last year, two years ago, had just cleaned out like her whole house. And I just, that was the last thing I wanted to look at. I just, I just couldn't do it anymore after, I mean two years. Mm -hmm. And then when I did finally do it, it literally took like five hours tops (laughs) and to like from start to finish. And, um, I actually had help so that the kids helped me take the stuff up and down the stairs. And then I was like, Oh, and then I kept wanting to go downstairs and like, see, Oh, look how clean and open and spacious it is. And I really appreciated that moment then. And I, I actually because the kids were there, they were distracting me from like getting all caught up in the past of, you know, cleaning all that stuff out. So,
0: well, that's a heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time example. Thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. That would fall into that category. Absolutely. Of it's emotional. So as much as you wanted to do it, you know, maybe you would get to like, I should go down there and clear out this stuff. I have it all organized, but the emotions of going back into the past or the memory that that pile has of the time when you were sorting that and you, you were in your early grief. Right. And I just didn't want to go back there. Like, right.
1: Which ultimately didn't happen, which was really extra cool. So I'm glad that I got it done. And then it was done fast. And like, I couldn't have asked for a better situation in that, in that time. That was like last Saturday or
0: something. So that's great. And when you had mentioned even the word procrastination, there was this mug for sale at a store and it said, I put the pro in procrastination. And I thought I need to get this mug and I got this mug. <laughs> See, procrastination is my biggest motivator.
1: Um, maybe not so much net. Na- well, it depends, uh, but, uh, being like a freelancer with all the time on my shoulders to get stuff done, I would, I became like a champion procrastinator because then that gave me the momentum to move forward. And like, I couldn't risk distraction because I was so close to the deadline that I had to sit and work. Otherwise I would just be like, "Ah, I, I kind of sometimes still do it today, but I actually get more, uh, I feel better when I work ahead because then that pressure, I've realized that there's no pressure on me if I'm turning it in early, and and that's kind of how I need
0: to function now. Whereas in the past, the adrenaline might have helped you.
1: Yeah, now I don't like it. It feels gross to sit there like under pressure or whatever, mm-hmm. and then I berate myself. Why didn't I do this yesterday? <laughs> you know, like in in a in a good way like in a way that reminds me
0: next time this happens, not to let it happen. Right. So it seems like you've worked, worked through that, the, the tendency to put it off and then knowing that that feels bad more often than not. Exactly. Where in the past, I think everybody could relate a little bit to that adrenaline kind of helping them get it done Yeah. well, yeah, I- but maybe not so well. Right. So maybe it helped in the past, but it's not the way you really want to operate.
1: Right. I think I'm prioritizing peace in that I can say, okay, well, if I finish this tonight, then I have the whole day free tomorrow. I don't have to get up and work right away. And that usually exhausts me. And then I don't want to do anything for the rest of the day. Like it's a whole process. Yeah. It's like procrastinational maturity or
0: something. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's a new term, creative competition. Yeah. But yes, m- procrastination maturity. I like that. You've, you've done it. You've been the procrastinator and now you are more scheduled. I'm, re- I'm retiring from my <laughs> procrastination championship. Yeah. <laughs> the, the next form is indecisiveness. So this is spinning around, confusing yourself, um, afraid to just pick, you know, pick a direction and learn a lesson or be successful, right? Indecisiveness is really thinking that we need to be overthinking all the scenarios and then not choosing one. So would you
1: think that the most popular form of indecisiveness is, where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? And people don't actually answer that question because they're afraid that the person isn't going to like their answer.
0: Yeah. Or maybe they don't want the dis- any disappointment that that other person has with the location to be blaming them. Right. But that kind of leads to a lot of indecision. I was just trying to use the most basic example. Yeah, that is a really good one because I find to do that because for exactly the reason I just described is that I think to myself, well, you know, I don't want you to be disappointed in my choice. And then or. Sometimes I will say, because Dave and I do this a lot, and he's like, mm-hmm. No, what do you want to do? I go, No, what do you want to do? It's more if I really don't have an opinion and I really feel like I could go with any choice, right. I'll be like, Well, where do you want to go? Or if you do, if we don't want to go out at all, you want to stay in versus not going out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've started to like acquiesce to. I don't know. There's still a part of me that's like, I'll be super unhappy if we go there. (laughs) I can make the best of any situation. But then uh, when it comes to that, I kind of just started, it depends on the company as well. Like I just kind of started being more decisive. Like either I say wherever you want to go is fine and actually mean it,
0: or just really give a legit like answer. And then when it comes to, let's just say more complicated scenarios like whether we should marry someone that we're in a relationship with or whether we um you know big things maybe whether we take the leap into entrepreneurship or we take a new job and of course it's uncertain we don't know exactly what that new job is going to be like so the if you find yourself in indecisiveness it's it's you and it's going on too long mm-hmm. you can actually peel back a layer and go well what is this telling me is this yeah a no that i've costumed as indecisiveness it's like my gut is telling me no or am i afraid and i want to be able to get over that fear yeah so my thing is about moving mm-hmm. like i know i don't
1: want to be here much longer but i'm also so indecisive for both those reasons like fear of the unknown to some extent because I don't have to move and like get a job somewhere. So like that's usually most people's anchor when they move, they have a job. So immediately they kind of have friends or at least access to people. True. (laughs) For me, when I move, it's not a job dependent situation. So I could just be moving somewhere completely new and then still have nothing happening like I do here. <laughs> um, so there's that. I do have a bit of fear. And usually I'm not super fearful. But I have a lot more responsibilities than I did when I was in my 20s and moved like 38 times. So, yeah. And then there's just that gut thing. Like, not yet. Not yet. Something's happening before you. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this decision is going to be made for me at some point.
0: Yeah. I was thinking too, indecisiveness is interesting because it's almost like you have to sit indecisiveness down and have a little conversation. Like, is, is this a no? Is it a not now? Yeah. You know, what is it coming from? Is it an overthinking? Is it that I'm overthinking it and it basically uncertainty is making me indecisive? Uh, I could
1: check every one of those boxes for a move for that move specific situation, which is why I'm just sitting still. I'm in a Mm -hmm. holding pattern until something else tells me
0: move forward. Right, because you're in an interesting perspective or interesting situation where you could take your job with you. Right. But you mentioned, but the downside of that is then you're not getting the social network that you would if it was a move and you were switching jobs.
1: Yeah, and I also have, other factors to consider like i have pets so if i rent then it would cost a bazillion dollars to have pets which mm-hmm. if that was even allowed and then secondly is i'd have to buy a house which is great but pretty much anywhere i'd want to move is like 5 times what i pay living expenses here than where i'd want to live so there's some reality that's kind of an, op, not an obstacle, but a, a, what makes indecisiveness worse. <laughs> it kind of makes the decision for me.
0: So I think right you there. just brought it, brought it up another angle to it, or is it an obstacle? And it's, it's not actually fear. It's something that's a legitimate obstacle to. But it's like a, a, we mentioned four things.
1: So each of those is like a fourth of the, the issue, right? Yeah. So there's legitimate obstacles. There's some financial obstacles where you consider the whole expense of moving. Then there's the fear of the unknown. What if I move somewhere and absolutely hate it? Because I have to buy a house, right, for the pets. So I'd have to like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. This has been my mind game for the last like three years solid. There's probably
0: not a day that goes by. I don't think about it. Interesting. So maybe it's you have to manifest the right opportunity. It's all I can do at this point. Just attracted in rather than pushing it out as a plan. I've surrendered. I've I really have surrendered to the process. Yeah. For a change. Mm -hmm. And then that probably really all told that shuffles or filters down into a not now.
1: Yeah, which is interesting because I'm not that person. I'm a. I've got this idea. Let's go right now. Mm -hmm. Fearless on some level, but again. Along with procrastinational maturity, apparently I also have some other kinds of maturity gripping it as well, (laughs) where I'm not so quick to pull the trigger. You know, I'm—I mean, I'm
0: older and more tired than I was when I was 23. But right, and then peeling the layers to see—it's not a fear; it's really some logistics that are important in real. Yeah, more often it's logistical than fearful,
1: but there is, I would be lying if I said there wasn't some element of fear.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So indecisiveness, us, you know, swirling around or overthinking, um, confusing ourselves. Depending on the scenario, if we do see it and recognize it as a fear, when we peel back the layers, Mm -hmm. then it's like, am I willing to take the leap and learn a lesson and have an experience And one of the things that I find is useful, too, is if we do put some value on experiences, then it makes it a little easier to take that leap. And if we don't, though, if we really like comfort and security, then, well, then that tips the indecisiveness scale to the other end of the spectrum. Right. And so that, again, makes it clear and then it's not indecisive anymore. Right. But the fear of making the wrong decision. Yeah. So
1: I think I think that's that. greater for me now. Of course, if I didn't have a kid and pets and all that stuff where I wasn't responsible for other things, living, breathing things, I might feel differently in that I could just pick up and go. But I have obviously I have other things to consider. So I'd be afraid, to, more afraid to make the wrong quote
0: unquote decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. That's more of your, the mature point in your life that you're at. Right. Then we're younger when you did move and you moved and you experienced different areas of the country. Um, you didn't have those responsibilities. It was so great back then. (laughs) (laughs) So in the future that might be yourself might be back in that spot. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's why I'm not in a super rush to make all these. Decisions. I mean, some days I'm more in a rush than other days, but for the most part, it's on the back burner. It's still burning.
0: Just like, I don't see, I don't feel the heat as much. It's on simmer. Yeah. Yeah, it's simmering, simmering, incubating <laughs> it, it, opportunity in the future. The next type is conspiracy. And this is in to use a Brene Brown definition, a conspiracy, this, this form of fear is a story that we've created with limited factual data points that we filled in with our own values, ideas, and belief. And, you know, what is the story that you're creating that says you shouldn't do something and gets you stuck? So she actually has a way of getting out of that. So to think about maybe this story as a conspiracy, this story that's keeping you stuck or fearful of doing something. And here, here's a really obvious example too. Someone wants to be self-employed and then has, you know, a whole story about why they can't do that. And then maybe looking at it in, in a different way, They really could do that or should do that, but they have to take certain steps to make sure that it's a secure enough venture. And so, or it might also be factual that they really shouldn't take the leap maybe at that time, but to really think about the conspiracy that you have maybe created in your own thoughts, in your own mind, in your own narration of the story that her example on how to get out of that is to take a piece of paper and draw a vertical line down the center. And on the left, in that left side of the paper on under a column facts, you put all the facts, what are the actual just black and white facts about this issue? And then on the right hand side, write everything else that's kind of made up or interpreted information. That would be the conspiracy points that are against doing this. So is
1: it still fair to say it's like a pro and con, but not really because... Not really.
0: It's more of like, what is the facts? What are the facts? So it's a little bit more lopsided than that. What I'm imagining is if you were to do this exercise, you'd probably have like two data points on the left-hand side. And then you'd have like 20 on the right hand side of all these, you know, what actually could come across as excuses. And then you see it more clearly. You see it more clearly that these are the facts and these are the things I'm worried might happen or go wrong or be an obstacle. And then you can kind of look at them. Are they facts? Or are they excuses?
1: I was just going to say, I would love to see somebody's list and see how many accurate actual facts there are. So I'd be a really good at conspiracy busting. Like I've done it for people a lot, sometimes to absolutely no avail, except my own wasted energy. But I have a friend who started a business. Um, we met to talk about it. I was like, you got to do this you know, your experiences, you can't waste this opportunity. And I just kind of, and the person had responded, well, within five years, and I about lost my mind, like five years, what are you talking about? So I did the old cheerleader pep talk. And within three weeks, they were already selling from their business. The five-year plan went totally in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, in the best kind of way. It became a five-week plan in, within even, five weeks or less? I, honestly, I think it was that weekend we went to a farmer's market to start selling, we, we're just in a few days. And then once they had that taste of, oh, my gosh, this could work, then it was like... my. Uh, you know, I helped for a while just to be that support or whatever. And now it's been going for like four years.
0: Nice. So you helped them bust the conspiracy. They saw it. They saw it as a conspiracy against themselves, maybe with the, you know, the five-year plan. Well, what were the reasons, you know, if you were asking them more questions about why it wasn't now? There wasn't any good reasons either. And that's what, well to me they were. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't meet with your approval <laughs> yeah
1: right so that's where I get like so passionate about busting the myths busting the conspiracies finding the silver lining like that's just a natural uh gift that I have in when I believe it. I have to believe it I can't just like make it up right but maybe I could I don't know but for this person all the signs were there. Like, you know what I mean? You you can't waste your potential kind of thing. And then it, it went from there. But I also hung around to support them in going forward, you know, and help like showing them, hey, this is whatever. And now they don't even need my help ever. So,
0: <laughs> Well, that's great. And that, I'm at, how great that they had a friend like you. They could talk that through and see. Right. What the five-year plan really just had... A lot of fear in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a lot of other people who I can bust through the conspiracies with them. And I know they see the light. I I see it on their face. And then ultimately fear gets them. They'll go to bed that night, wake up the next day and be like, nope, I'm out. (laughs) So, you know, which, Hey, that's their business. I mean, they, if they obviously weren't able to get through one night of sleeping on it, then obviously it was the best decision for them.
0: And it's not indecisive anymore. So it's just more, it was like a no, not now. No, not now. And maybe that was an instinct. And, and we don't really know how that would really play out, but at least they went through that exercise. We'd- yeah. I just hate
1: seeing people waste like with their potential and uh, being a road less taken kind of person. I just think everybody's on board with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So with the conspiracy at least having that exercise someone can see through it or decide, you know, maybe that some of those conspiracy points actually are facts. Like, you know, I can't afford it now to make the leap t- to be an entrepreneur it might be actually more of a fact. I don't have enough cushion, I don't have enough savings or, you know, something like that. Um, you know, don't want to ride the edge too too close if they have expenses and responsibilities. So, but to, to examine it, that the conspiracy could be a fear showing itself that, you know, the story that you've created.
1: Right. Yeah. And I do like the, the fact list and the non-fact and all the other stuff list. And then it'd be interesting to keep that list and then like kind of keep moving things over to one column or the other
0: as time goes on. Yeah. And then I like the magic wand test. If fear was not a factor, magic wand it, what would you do? And then that usually reveals what your true desires are. And I see that you have your magic wand right there handy. It's always (laughs) at the
1: ready. You never know when you're going to mention magic wands. (laughs) Just way more,
0: way more often than I would have expected in the beginning. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Keep that handy. Uh, Got it. Keep that handy. We all need a magic wand. So, as we come to the conclusion, you just wanted to say that another technique through, you know, getting through the fears, obviously, your awareness that there are different kinds of fears. And and how they present themselves. Um, just to recap here, real fear is legitimate. It keeps us away from harm and danger. It's an ally to us that we notice, um, and have that instinct. The other forms are echo fear, the situation from the past, perfectionism. That is fear disguised as putting out so much good work, so much good work, and so much above reproach that you feel good enough. Uh, The next is inner critic. It's that voice in your head that's just telling you, you aren't enough. You can't do this. Um, You can recognize that you're scared when the inner critic's going nuts. Um, Avoidance, convincing yourself that you really want to do something and then shrugging it off like, nah, I didn't really, it wasn't a big deal anyway, that kind of thing. Distraction, you're actually now putting this thing that you want to do on the calendar and finding all kinds of things to distract yourself from actually doing it. Even things you don't like to do normally, then you really know. The next is indecisiveness, which is just spinning around, confusing yourself. Um, And, and it's different than not, than making a choice to choose later, which is kind of what your example of moving is probably you're really more, it's not indecisive. It's, it's making a decision that you're going to make the decision later. And then conspiracy. What are what's the story you're creating around this thing that you want to do? And what are the facts? What are the facts? And what's the story or the excuses or the um, your ideas and your beliefs even about yourself? What what are all those pieces that you're putting together? And then writing that out. Left hand side the facts. Right hand side the you know what what's the story. So enlightening yourself to
1: the eight different types of fear is sort of like the episode about expanding your emotional vocabulary so that when you know these specific words, that when you peel the layers away, it's easier to kind of
0: identify what needs to be fixed. Yeah, very nice connection that I hadn't thought of. Yes, we're raising more to our level of awareness mm. and looking at it a little more objectively, knowing that the ego is creating a story, knowing that we have emotions and feelings and putting the two together and knowing that there it's, it's not all just regular fear keeping us safe. It might be keeping us down and keeping us hidden and keeping us small and to be aware that that doesn't happen.
1: And knowing that not everything you are afraid of is like a real legit fear. It might just be your stupid inner roommate telling you dumb stuff that you shouldn't listen to.
0: Right. Exactly. A very, very mean inner critic. And for you to be able to get over that or an echo fear sabotaging you um, by just never wanting to be in that same bad situation again, but holding you back from the opportunity for you not to be. And so, for you to be able to think about that more critically. Right. Okay.
1: So now, everybody listening has to write in on social media or by email, and tell me what voice you assigned to your inner critic. Right. So nice. I, I just have like a generic Muppet voice, not anybody specifically. <laughs> I, d- I do kind of see Oscar the Grouch pop through in my visual. <laughs> But, yeah, just some kind of annoying voice. So now I'm curious what other people would assign there.
0: Or even a nickname, like Igor. My ego is called Igor. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm
1: th- there you are. But people have, like, Clint Eastwood or, I don't know, <laughs> Elmo. I don't know. So I'm trying to think of, like, distinctive voices that you can't kind of get out
0: of your head. Absolutely. Great, great idea too. And one, then one last thing too. wanted to let people know you can follow it up with a visualization and, and just taking some time to visualize. And here are some prompts for that, um, is one, what is something in your life? You know, you need to do, but you're avoiding doing two, what is the story you're telling yourself about why you shouldn't do it? And three, what's possible if you break free? So if you, those three critical questions in a visualization, when you're contemplating something that you might be feeling fear about. What was the second one? So I'll read all three again. So these are prompts for you to think about or write about. One, What is something in your life you know you need to do, but you're avoiding doing? Two, what is the story you're telling yourself about why you should not do it? And three, what is possible if you break free? Okay. And you're going to send those to me
1: so that, because I just wrote atrociously.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will send them to you and then we can even post them with the yeah. episode post is the visualization and, and that could be an exercise after listening to the episode. Mm-hmm. That's the, that can be the exercise that someone takes either mentally or writing exercise, um, visualizing their life in, in doing whatever it is, the leap that they want to take, whether it's a relationship, a job, a career, um, a move, the sky's the limit. And then giving themselves that time to examine is fear holding me back or is something else holding me back? And is that a a legitimate thing? And is it a not now? Is it a later? So that, wow, that hour went quick like super fast, <laughs> time traveled through that, that hour. Well, thank you. And thank you for such good examples. And thank you for listening. We hope you're feeling a bit more centered. We'll be back next Tuesday with another edition of Find Your Center. You can reach out to me at kperone at center or connect with us at the Slightly Unmeditated Facebook page. Instagram page, or email us at good vibes at slightly unmeditated.com. And uh, we'd love to use any coaching questions or thoughts you have for upcoming shows. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Kim Perone, helping you to find your center. Each time you do, you build a better world. My heart is full. Thank you for listening. I look forward to connecting with you again. Until next time, I wish you clarity, compassion, and contentment.